Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Miss Amanda Chen Show podcast. I'm here today with a very special guest, Shiloh, who has been editing the interviews of the 100 Masked Men series for the past year. As we end the series, I thought it would be fun to chat with her on the development of the show from someone who has seen the series grow from day one. Hi, yes. Thank you so much for having me. This is really fun. My name is Shiloh. I am a audio producer, writer, creative type person. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for, for coming in and uh, sharing the space with us today. And it's funny, like we met off of Facebook. So I just imagine that editing a show would take so much work for someone. So ideally, you'd want to edit a show that you actually personally want to listen to. So what initially intrigued you about the 100 Mass Men series that made you want to edit it? Because, you know, there'd be 100 ed- episodes to go through. Yeah, it's been a lot. I really feel like we've been on a journey together, <laughs> um, even though we like, you know, we only talk once a week. But I mean, I feel like I was just like really hungry to get in the space of audio and, you know, our first conversation, I feel like we just like sort of clicked and we sort of got each other. Like, I remember you saying that you had done like gender studies and philosophy and journalism. And I did philosophy as my undergrad. And I always like wanted to do journalism. And it's kind of funny now because I am sort of pivoting into the world of journalism. So I just thought it was kind of interesting the ways that our our paths sort of connected and diverged in similar ways mm-hmm. and also like the bar scene in Toronto I feel like we both sort of are very aware of that space and that was something that I always really appreciated in the episodes it felt like you came from that world and I don't think that there's a lot of representation on service-based jobs in creative spaces yeah and I think it's interesting how much that intertwines like having like a lot of people in creative spaces that work in service industry because they need that flexibility of schedules or fast cash or whatever it is to live that lifestyle so that they can contribute to their creative endeavors. And we only hear about one side or the other in isolation of each other. Yeah, we sort of pretend like we aren't all bartending on the side. And I liked Mm -hmm. that you didn't pretend. I mean, I was very lucky to be able to make the pivot into audio pretty easily, but I think that for me, it sort of was like an all or nothing trigger, right? It was like, why are you continuing to invest your time in something that isn't feeding you in a way that, I mean, literally it's feeding you because it's money, but you know what I mean? Like that Mm -hmm. that isn't, that isn't like what you want to be doing. So it made me think about how I'm spending my time and like, I want to be spending it on creative projects. I want to spend it collaborating with people. I want to spend it learning this sort of craft of of, um, audio and storytelling. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I really appreciate that you you initially joined because we resonated really well. And I guess that's really important, obviously, to have a good working relationship with with someone that you'll be listening to for about a year, (laughs) week to week. So... What did you think the show was about initially and how has it changed throughout the year? Okay, yeah, it's changed so much. I mean, it's still always been these sort of free flowing conversations with men and understanding their their perspective. And it's been interesting, sometimes frightening to be a fly on the wall mm-hmm. and learning about the, the like inner workings of some people because you know, you hang out with your specific group of friends and you think that everyone thinks like you. That's been very interesting. But in terms of how the show has changed, 
there's these very like free flowing conversations. And I feel like watching you develop as a interviewer and take more control over how you want the, the conversation to be set up and sort of reining people in has been like really, really incredible to watch that, that develop. Um, so it went from like more free flowing conversations to more like focused and you can tell in the way the men show up too for the conversation, watching your progression, I've also seen them show up and be present in a different way. Do you know what I mean? They're like meeting you at your level. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting to note because at the beginning, I didn't have an awareness of how I wanted the show to go. And likewise, these men weren't able to articulate where they wanted to go with how they felt and how they wanted to articulate anything about all of these sensitive subjects. So I think it's tit for tat. Like we both need to be at the right place to show up in the right way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, you just really see that through the progression of the series. And I also just really appreciate like just trying to do something, you know what I mean? Like so many people say that they want to do things, but they don't follow through with them. And like the thing that I've really respected about you in this project is you were just like, you know what, like, I'm not sure where this is going, but like, it's worth just like giving it a shot. And I think, I think that's incredible. And and it's a valuable lesson, I think for, for like a lot of creative people. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, right? I think it's interesting that we haven't promoted trying, you know, we always just praise people succeeding magically and, and reaching that success. And it's like, well, how did you get there if you didn't try? And if you didn't try, like you need to know that you didn't know something or admit that at least. Right. Uh And and usually the success should just be like, Hey, I'm like a hundred interviews more successful than I was at zero. Like that was my only success metric. And I think what was interesting is a lot of men that passed on being interviewed were like, well, what's the point of the show? If you're not going to get signed or, you know, I'm not going to be known for anything because I'm anonymous. Like I had a lot of pushback with that because there was a different expectation of what they wanted out of the podcast versus like, Hey, this is just like an open dialogue finally, which is Uh maybe like what the true art form of audio is, you know, like you get to be that fly in the wall. Yeah, that's so true. I've never thought about that before, but I'm going to think about it for a bit later. (laughs) Um, But I think allowing there to be space for things to just exist without a specific purpose, without a specific end. Like that's so important and is not a thing that we we celebrate enough, right? Like whatever happens with this show, wherever it goes, whatever it's going to be, like just doing it can be the, the reward in and of itself. And that's huge because it's also just like, where are you putting your energy? Maybe this doesn't get signed to like Spotify or whatever. It's like these building blocks for like what type of person you want to be and like what type of world you want to create. Yeah. It's the long game, right? And mm-hmm. exactly. And, yeah. And what you want out of it. Cause we we're so focused on those short gains of like, Oh, I need to see results. So that would push me to be motivated to keep going versus like, no, I just want to do this because I want to see the change and be the change. So as you've seen the progress from each season, what have been some unexpected surprises that you've experienced from either topics that you've heard, stories, specific guys that you were like, whoa, I didn't think that I was ever going to hear this perspective. Like, 
what jumped out at you the most out of the series? I mean, I think one that I still think about a lot is, I don't remember what episode number this is or what the title of the episode is, but it's it was the man who um, was sex trafficked. It was so heavy, but it was also this experience of, of sex trafficking thing that we don't hear about. Like it's not the Hollywood version because it's often, you know, as is the case with most sexual assaults, it's like someone that you know, it's more intimate, it's more complicated, like relationships are sticky and, you know, you can be in love with your abuser. Like things aren't as black and white or as binary as, as we um, think that they, they would be. And that one, that one I think was like really, really powerful. And one that I still, I still sort of like think about today because it, mm-hmm. it was hard. It was like, that was like not a, that was a difficult listen, right? Like it was a lot to listen to. I don't know what it was like to have that conversation. I don't know what it was like for them to share their story, but that's one that I think about a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't even expect to find someone like that. And I like that it was different from the status quo. First of all, it wasn't a woman, right? That was a victim. It wasn't a young girl. It was a young boy. And just his understanding of of the concept, like he blamed himself and in his choice to go and do it, right? So in his mind, he was like, well, I can't be a victim if I voluntarily did it. Like I wasn't forced to do it in that sense. And that kind of bleeds, you know, the lines. Yeah, and it also... You know, it touches on so many themes of, of the show in terms of what is consent? Is it mm-hmm. consent when you can't imagine doing anything else, when it's like tied to your safety, when it's tied to your like material needs? That's not consent, right? And so that was that was like a hyper a version of that of that theme that has been has been sort of a constant throughout the show and a lot of the episodes. Mm-hmm. And I think consent is so laced with fear of the other person potentially doing something and whatever that is it's just the unperceived fear or the unknown what do you think other people or a lot of the men that were on the the show thought that consent was and do you think that they were mistaken still Mm -hmm. in their definition of that you know it was very varied there were some some guys who i'm just like these these men seem to like get it like they feel like people that I know that are in my circles. But then there were some conversations where I was like, mm, y'all, I don't know about this, you know? <laughs> uh, so, so it was varied. I can't say that I think that there was, a, there was like a universal idea of what it is. I, I will say, I think for the majority of people that were on the show, not all, but, but for the majority of them, they had an understanding of relationships and consent that, I think is is healthy and an understanding that people are complicated and we're all just trying to do our best. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess I was I was conflicted. I think because you're saying this too, you know, kind of an agreement that it is varied shows that there isn't a true definition mm. or like an, a standard definition for everyone to align on. And obviously, like the ones that are on the show are the ones that consented themselves to mm-hmm. to be asked these questions and they knew yeah. consent was going to come up there's and a bit of a self-selective process exactly so I think I've had the experience where I would interview people and be like oh well I don't think you're the right fit for the show based on your thoughts 
Hmm. And a lot of the times they actually would just no show. And this was my own discovery of my lack of boundaries because I wanted to please everyone that I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. this person is definitely not a fit, but I'm still going to do it, I guess, because I went through the actions of, you know, pre-screening them, et cetera. And then they just no show. I'm like, thank God, because I knew that they were just like not going to be a great person on the show. So I think I accidentally lucked out in those those instances. Um, Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Was there anybody on the show that you like didn't think was a good fit for the show? Like, was there anyone that you had those feelings about that ended up, you ended up interviewing? Yeah, <laughs> there's a couple of them. A lot of them were in the first two seasons because I didn't know mm. how to say no myself yet. And um, there are some interviews that I felt like I was spoken over and I allowed it. So I think closer to the second half is when I started to really like hone in on my tone of voice and how I wanted the shows to go. But I mean, I don't know. Cause it's interesting. Cause you're thinking like, Oh, Amanda just started. She doesn't know her way around yet. So she's just kind of like navigating, but I was definitely intimidated by some of the people I was interviewing that I just like stayed silent to a point that I didn't even have an input into the interview. Sometimes that's how I felt. Yeah, I have been, I was talking with a friend about this actually yesterday because I've been doing interviews and stuff like that for for work as well. And being able to like ask for what you want or like being able to assert yourself in an interview is such a delicate balance because you're like, how grateful should I be that this person is talking to me, right? Like, Mm -hmm. am I so like, thank you so much that I, that I like make myself smaller or that I don't get what I want or that, you know, even like something as simple as demanding good audio, right? Like being like, no, you (laughs) need to like stop fidgeting. You need to stop banging the table, but you just don't say these things or like maybe you don't ask the right question or you see a guest going off down like a rabbit hole that they want to talk about but you're like I get it and you want to make space for that because maybe there's like a like a gem in there that they're gonna they're gonna reveal something while also being like this isn't just like an entirely self-indulgent practice like let's steer the ship to where I want to go while also leaving room for them to like express themselves in a way that they feel comfortable with And also like, you don't know where those tangents are going, right? Like there could be something in there that's like gold. It's such a delicate balance. I don't know. Yeah. I remember a lot of times I would just sit quietly and wait for the first half hour, 45 minutes, an hour sometimes for them to finish telling me their life story. And then I would have an interview. Mm. And sometimes I I feel that. Yeah. (laughs) Because you need to get it out of their system, I think. And I think it's also one thing to learn about vulnerable subject matter with men that are used to not being vulnerable. They need to express some sort of intelligence or knowledge factor first. And usually it's about their life story and their work and their career and everything. And I think if I disrupt that and and interrupt them and say, oh, actually, let's talk about this, it throws them off and the conversation doesn't really flow. So it was a practice of patience for me, but then afterwards I realized like, I'm just not going to give them that anymore. And I'm going to try and challenge them, you know, and say, Hey, let's, we're going to start with vulnerability first. And maybe I start and I share something that happened to me over the week. And usually that helps them get into that 
that frame of mind so that it's not like a interview style Q&A. Hey, what were you up to in the last, you know, quarter of your life, blah, blah, blah. And, and we get to hone in on specific subjects a lot faster. Yeah. It's hard to, especially with men. I don't feel like they've, like a lot of men have been given the same sort of space to to be vulnerable and to have these sort of intimate conversations. Like I'm spilling my guts to my girlfriends like three times a day. Like I'm used to those those types of conversations, but I feel like the way so many men are socialized, they don't get the opportunity to. So when you're doing it, you know, this might be the first time that they've had a conversation like this. Mm-hmm. And so like, like letting, letting them like work out all of that in the way that they want to, in order to let them do it, I think is important. Yeah. I think with a lot of the guys that I did interview, this was maybe their first time they've ever spoken vulnerably about anything. And also to someone that they're not in an intimate relationship with or a romantic relationship with. So I think they navigated it really strangely. They were just like, oh, I don't know how to speak about these subjects. Maybe there uh-huh. was a lot of stuttering, um, talking around things. And I think that's what made the conversations more interesting because I liked the tension. So uh-huh. what were your thoughts about the awkwardness and silent spaces between some of these conversations? Yeah, I felt like, you know, there was definitely points that were that were awkward. I am really bad at watching people embarrass themselves. Like, like I will like skip through parts of TV shows where somebody is embarrassing themselves. Like I just get such secondhand <laughs> embarrassment. Like I feel it in my body, even talking about it right now, like my, my face is turning red, just thinking about somebody else being embarrassed, like a hypothetical person. So I think that I'm especially sensitive to it. And it, there were definitely moments where I was like, Ooh, and I think part of that is you know, a lot of people, you're talking about things that maybe people haven't discussed before. And that's hard and it's going to be awkward and it's going to be weird. And, and that's part of, and that's part of it. Yeah. And I think we don't get enough examples of that because we see such perfectly primed Mm -hmm. and edited things. And I think that's why you're uncomfortable because it's like, oh, like, you know what that uh-huh. feels like and you never want to see Ooh, that. Yeah, even just thinking about it. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Was there a specific episode but or moment or subject in one of the episodes that you're like, oh, I just, that one was really cringy. Oh, I'm trying to think. I, I don't, I don't know. I can't think of one off the top of my head. I'm really sorry. I think that sometimes I struggled with like the essentialism around some of some of the conversations where it's like men are doing this women are doing this I was like I don't know man like my like my male friends aren't doing that or like I don't know man like I don't do that like I like as a woman I don't want I don't want to be taken care of you know some of some of that sort of stuff if that makes sense I was like "Mm." like there's like absolute but they were like this is a distinct fact about all men and all women that you were like yeah yeah, yeah, that stuff I sort of struggled with. Like, I get that there's certain social constructs that that make a lot of men bad at talking about their feelings or that make, like, a lot of women people pleasers. That I see. But to make it universal, I don't know. I don't know. But I also think that, like, you can really tell who you hang out with when you're listening to the show. 
And when you're like, oh, this is a person that I would know. And then it's like somebody who you wouldn't know. Like it's somebody, I don't know, who like works at Salesforce and like lives in Liberty Village. Like no offense to those people, but like, that's not my social circle. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's a really cool thing to point out because I searched high and low to get the widest variety of different people so that I wouldn't be biased about my concept of men and how they interact with Mm -hmm. people. So do you think that we were able to encompass a a wide variety in that sense of like, these are people that I would maybe know in my life, these people I wouldn't, these people I would hang out with, these people I would never even dare talk to. Like, (laughs) was there like a good spectrum of that? There was like a wild spectrum of that. Yeah. The diversity of people that were on the show, I mean, it's a hundred people, was huge, was huge. I, yeah, yeah. I'm like, my jaw is sort of on the floor just thinking about it. Right. Was there any that you were like, whoa, how did you find this human that experienced whatever story that they were sharing? There were so many. One that really sticks out to me that I, I thought was like a lovely conversation was the guy who wrote poetry. He was in mm. New York. I just like, I thought that that was a re- like really cute and really light. I think he had like a drag queen on once. Yeah. 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 Like I remember them and like they were, they were makeup artists, right? Yeah. yeah. I really liked that one. Um, and my question for you, do you talk to any of them still? Like, have you developed a relationship with any of them? Like, do you check in on any of them? So there is some funny things about that. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> some behind the scenes. Yes. Like I'm, I'm best friends with a lot of them, I'd say. And the ones that are straight men, like I would say nearly 99% of them have hit on me after the show. Oh, so, really? and I think it's interesting because maybe that's the first time they've ever been vulnerable with someone. And then being a female host, there's this concept that there needs to be a romantic interest because you would never be vulnerable um, with a woman that you're not intimate with Mm. so that made me realize that oh there's a there's a gap in platonic relationships between men and women for sure when you can be vulnerable so yeah like a lot of the trans men the gay men like best friends with them the ones Mm. that are married obviously with girlfriends or anything like that fantastic friends with them because they're like oh my god I can I can reveal this information to this person and she's not judging me. And I think it also helps that I'm not in their life. They're like daily life where they see me all the, all the time. And, uh, you know, I know their parents and their work friends and all that kind of stuff. So I'm this like outside thing that kind of gives them that release. Yeah. I don't like, Oh, the plight of, of men, but honestly, yeah. Like they don't get to have friendships you know there's so many men that like the only relationship in their life or the like the biggest relationship in their life is the romantic one and I'm just like that's such a bummer and which is why they would look at you and be like this is a romantic opportunity versus this is like a a friendship opportunity obviously this isn't true for every man but like I do think that that it is a bit of a thing I think it's also that romantic relationships are prioritized Mm, as the top relationship like platonic relationships you're like oh yeah uh, we're just friends but maybe we're just work colleagues and then if one of us leaves that work space we might not be friends anymore and that's chill like no one cares but if this is meaningful enough or we have a good enough connection it'll turn romantic right like that is the epitome of 
relationships, apparently. It's so true. Like even just that line, just friends, just work colleagues, like it's, it, it implies that there's something lacking in that relationship and it's not true. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah, a different type. I think that one was a pretty interesting space. Like even the last, the most recent season on season four, we were talking about friends with benefits. Mm. And a lot of the time I was thinking that men actually engage in female friendships to control their actual romantic relationship by making themselves seem more desirable. Mm. You know, unfortunately. That bums me out. Yeah. (laughs) I don't want to think that's true. (laughs) Because at the end of the day, I don't know if a lot of straight men know how to have platonic relationships. So everything is used as a tool Mm. to ultimately gain control or get the other woman Mm -hmm. in that Mm -hmm. concept. So so that was like a hard lesson to to see. And I was like, okay, cool. Like this is where we are today. But yeah, interesting. Interesting. I mean, I think for some, for some people for sure. It's just I like to think that people are operating in good faith. Like even if they're not, I just want to go in with the assumption that people are operating in good faith. Because I think too, when you expect the best from people, you're the most likely to get the best from them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And unfortunately, I mean, I think that they are operating in the best intentions. Like, I don't think they do it on purpose and like, oh, I'm ready to manipulate someone today. Mm. And this is my my ultimate game plan. I think they just believe that that is the role of a man to ultimately Ooh. have all women wanting them. And that's that's part of the desire. And I think, again, it's like all women need to want them in this romantic needing you type way so that he can be the provider and then have the choice of who he chooses to provide for. So yeah, ultimately like it is of good intention or of what they believe that their role is as Mm -hmm. a man. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then we just lose in all of those connections. Yeah. And it comes from this like limited idea of what it means of like gender stereotypes and gender norms. Oh, that, yeah, that just bums me out. Mm -hmm. It was such a learning to see the like unawareness of just like operating within these norms. Were there any conversations that kind of made you rethink about your own understanding of relationships or what relationships mean for you? I mean, I think that there was like a, there's a couple near the end who, we talked about this in our conversations, who like had this idea that they like couldn't be with the people that they loved Mm -hmm. that I thought was um, interesting. It also made me think like, why not? And the ways that we sort of put people on pedestals without actually taking any action about them. They like exist in our mind as these like fictionalized characters. And I think that like, I have done that in the past. Um, You know what? No, I do that right now. I can think of somebody who I'm literally doing that with (laughs) right now, Uh, where you just like put them on a pedestal and you think that they're like better than they, they're like almost not human. I seeing other people do that really made me be like, ooh, Shiloh, like, girl, what are you doing? So I think I think that's like an instance that I can think of, think of right now. Yeah. And I think again, it's it's of good intentions. Like you want to be better, like a better version of you. So mm. I think by projecting someone on a higher pedestal, it's like, oh, I need to be a better version to reach this human. Yes. Which is great for you to like be motivated to do that. But then 
it's not great when you look at someone as above you and identify yes. that. Yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah. That's so, it's so true. Yeah. It's a good motivator, but it's also like, you need to be able to get out of that and be like, you, like, you are always going to be on this person's level. There's no one like above or below you. That, that's like a concept that doesn't exist. Like get, get out of that, that mentality. And I think like more broadly, it's made me a bit more patient with people and a little bit more open-minded that we're all sort of like, we're all dealing with our own thing. And just because I don't agree with what somebody is saying, doesn't make, maybe it makes some of them a bad person, depending on what they're saying, but like having space to listen to them. Like, I feel like we're so quick to judge people who don't think exactly like we do. Yeah. I think that's the the biggest challenge and like, why bother listening to someone who doesn't have the same perspective as you? And I think that was the main reason for even starting the show. Cause I was only surrounded by people that I knew that I wanted to hang out with that agreed mm-hmm. with me that had the same perspective that had the same experiences. And I was like, wait a minute, there's a whole world out there that has experienced life completely different. Has there been any examples of any episodes that you were like, whoa, I didn't think that this person's life could look like that. Mm, there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've been really fascinated by the guys who are part of these like men's groups like that has been I've been doing like I like remember going on deep dives about those afterwards because I I didn't know that they had they existed I'm like so intrigued by by them like obviously part of that is like I'm never going to get to go to a men's group but like they have like leaders and like their mentors. It's such a world. It's such a niche that no one I know has really, really done anything like that. And yeah, I was like, I was really taken aback by those. I'm going to say something that's really honest. It felt like it felt like paying for friendship. Maybe that's a really shitty way of thinking about it, but that's what it kind of seemed like. And I don't think this is just men. I think we just live in such a modern era that it's, it's hard to have friends. Like, I feel very lucky and I feel very supported, but I know like, you know, people that I've worked with at, at like offices where I'm just like, dude, this seems really, really sad. You don't have like a support system outside of like your family and your girlfriend. And so maybe those men's groups are like, are that space. Does that make sense? No, that makes so much sense. Like, I think a lot of men are taught that they're not supposed to have friends, unfortunately. Oh God, that makes me right? sad. Like you're supposed to be this like lone wolf living your journey, whatever that is. And then you find your wife and then you still are alone in your journey. You know, you can't share any information to her because you're the provider. And as much as women are brought up in a space to be competitive towards other women, we still have this empathetic space where we can relate to each other. Whereas with men, it was like, oh no, you have to stop having friends as soon as you reach puberty like it's a it's a competitive camaraderie now and even though it's camaraderie you still want to win there is this unspoken rule of like needing to be on your own to prove your worthiness as a man I think and then these spaces are the final moments where you can admit you know some things that you might not want to admit to anybody else and unfortunately I think that is unsustainable because they're not your like core friends 
that you see all the time. You, you like, yeah, it's a, mm. it's like a group therapy set situation rather than friendship. And I don't think a lot of men get the chance to experience what friendship is. And that's why I have had all this difficulty, like creating platonic friendships. Yeah. Or it's, or it's just like, they don't get to be as in touch with their feelings. So there isn't the same level of intimacy in those relationships. And again, like this isn't for everyone. And I do think that there is sort of, there is a shift in our culture now where people are getting more in touch with their feelings and like are learning to be sensitive. And I, I really see this in the younger generation. Like, you know, I, I'm always here to praise a Gen Z kid. Like they're so mm-hmm. good. They're just, they're just like so good. And, and you really see that um, in, in them. How have the interviews been different in comparison to the younger men on the show versus the older men like has it been night and day for you when you listen to them I think so maybe not night and day but I do say if there was a trend and I'm not talking like 30s younger I'm talking like early 20s younger right like they seem to be a bit more aware of what is going on in the world and their place in it like I think that millennials and gen xers still there's this residualness of working really hard and thinking that like work is everything and like the hustle culture or whatever. Whereas like the younger people, they might be hustling, but they have a sense of awareness about it. It's kind of like, they're like, capitalism is a joke. I'm doing this because it's the thing that I have to do, but they're not tying it to their identity in the same way that I think that people in their, in their like thirties and forties do. Yeah. And it's even, you can like intellectually know that, like I intellectually know that, but my work is the most important thing to me right now. And I know that that is not okay. Right. But Mm -hmm. I just, yeah, it's hard. It's really, really hard when it's been like ingrained in you. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And it's, it's how we're taught, right. It's, Uh it's the story that's written. I think my relationship with the younger men is they give me hope that Mm. there, there can be a change because of their openness, but there's also this fear of just because they're so open, they're so easy to become manipulated and changed. Um, So if, if our generation was the space on identifying, you know, maybe their space is not identifying or misidentifying, right? Like there's all this other potential of it going completely sideways. And I think my biggest struggle with these guys was trying to keep the conversation focused because they would just fly off to different tangents or just, you know, live in dreamland. So there is a sense of reality that I think is missing. I mean, part of that might just be age too. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like I'm much more stable and like, like mentally well person now than I did when I was 21, right? Like, that might just be part of it, like your frontal lobe not being fully developed. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And also I want to be careful too, because I don't want to be like, oh, this younger generation is, they're just really doing it. Like my hands are clean, take it and run kids. Cause I think that there's still work that we can be doing. Mm -hmm. What do you think is still missing in terms of conversations or topics from this show that we've covered, or just might need a little bit more elaboration? It could be something about bringing generations together or working together more or about making friendship better or a totally different subject that I didn't even talk about yet. 
Was there anything for you that you were like, you know, I want more of this? Women. (laughs) Women, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I feel like women were were what was missing. Like Like I get the concept and I think that was good to sort of get get those those ideas moving and work that out in that space but I really would be interested to hear what women have to say about about the series and about those conversations because okay. it's a dialogue it's a dialogue mm-hmm. right like what's the point if there's not a back and forth so I, I would be I'd be legitimately so curious to hear what the response is interesting I get the responses from women listeners and usually it's like oh this guy didn't finish elaborating on this part of his story like how come he didn't say more than that and a lot of the time it's like well because that's all he has in his capacity to speak about because this Mm -hmm. is maybe the most he's ever spoken about in his lifetime and again you know it's this this expectation of like well he's being vulnerable on the show he's agreed to be on the show so how come he hasn't told you like everything or you ask this question in like four different ways and he still didn't answer it you know why isn't he answering it and it's like that's our problem (laughs) and and a lot of women's expectation of like hey this is feeling time let's talk about feelings and then you don't get exactly what you want interesting I think this was another point that I wanted to make before is being grateful that people are telling you the story without letting them walk all over you, but recognizing like what a gift it is to have people tell you their stories. Mm-hmm. It's so huge. And if they can't share everything, that's okay. I mean, it might not always be okay, but for the purposes of this show, it's, it's okay. Yeah. I think I got the most hesitation with the sex addict and the one that got mm. accused of sexual assault. Anyone yes. that was in any of yes. those testy spaces. Yeah. And the one with the, the one that was accused of sexual assault, I am, um, I remember feeling like, I don't know if I feel good about this because it felt like he was making excuses for people not wanting to have him in his life. Like we all process things differently. And you can be there for somebody and like want them to be in your life. But like, if you do something like that, that can be too much for people that can be like that can end relationships. And I don't think that you can feel bad about that or expect anything different. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm trying to be careful about how I say this. I, I want there to be a world where there's like redemption for people who do shitty things. Yeah, but it no one is obligated to give you their forgiveness or give you their time. And it felt like in that conversation, that person expected forgiveness and was like feeling bad about what had happened to them. And there was no acknowledgement of what happened to his partner. And I found that really, really frustrating because I was like, you are not the only person that has been harmed in this situation right? Like perhaps what is happening to you is a consequence for your actions. And that's different, right? That's different than, than being harmed. Yeah. And I think men are really receptive to punishment and consequence, obviously, and Mm -hmm. risk, but not very good at dealing with guilt. And unfortunately, I think that's something that women are masters at dealing with like on a regular basis. So I think 
it's really difficult for some men to shake off that feeling. It felt and, like his guilt was turning to anger. Yeah, exactly. It felt like his guilt, guilt was turning to anger and resentment. And I was like, this is, this is getting like dark. Yeah. It's the only thing that they know how to express, right? So they instantly switch it over to that. And then it becomes a blame game. It's like, oh, it's their fault, not my fault. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm the victim because I'm the one that got caught, you know, uh, and yeah. unfortunately, or I'm the one that got called out from the situation when everybody acts like this, right? Yeah, it felt like he didn't even, he didn't deny that he did it, right? Like it wasn't, it wasn't like he was being falsely accused. It's like he did a really bad thing. And yeah, I, yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, I do remember having a lot of feelings, as you can probably tell about that episode where I was like, I'm, I don't think that I like this person, honestly. Yeah. I had a totally different view. I, uh, I appreciated his honesty in his perspective because uh, I didn't want to have an opinion and this was a real test for me. I was afraid to even have the conversation because I thought I was going to be triggered. But yeah. for me, I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really be appreciative that this guy is sharing this type of story on my show. Mm-hmm. And it's a perspective that no one's ever going to hear. It's like, you know, somebody's perception of the truth in his innocence. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's great in itself to be expressed. And I remember a lot of my listeners were like, well, do you believe him? And I had to say, well, it doesn't matter. It's just his version of the truth. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So I think that it does matter. I struggled with that one a lot. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I like, I'll be honest. I didn't like it. And I felt like kind of sick editing it because I was like, he is not getting it. You know, it's one thing to listen to somebody who's, who acknowledges when they've done something wrong, right? Like no matter how heinous it is, it's one thing to listen to that, but then it's a very another thing to listen to someone who who just like doesn't seem to be getting it. And I was like, what reality are you living in? Yeah. And I think it's interesting because that guy got the same situation repeated over and over again, right? He had three allegations. So he wasn't like clearly it's just like, and that, I think that it's like when there's stories like that, that's when I'm like, I want to hear from women. Like that's one side of it. But then I'm like, what about these these people's lives that he's disrupted, right? Like, when do they get to speak? When do they get to have their story heard? I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a great juxtaposition with the other, the other mm-hmm. one that was the victim of, of um, trafficking, because mm-hmm. his story, you know, he was lucky to have his story told because that happened a decade later where he had to go in trial and, and speak for it. Um, mm-hmm. Otherwise, I don't think he ever would. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah, there's a few where I found them challenging because I like viscerally disagreed with the person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in a way that I was like, I think this person is a bad person. Like not all of them, but there's there was there was some where I was like, I really struggled to get through them. And I'm a deeply feeling person. Like I like I know people say they're empathetic or like, you know, they're empaths or whatever. And that term gets used a lot, but like, you know, I can't watch somebody be embarrassed because I feel their embarrassment. Like I can't like listening to someone who I think is like harming people. I feel it in my whole body and I feel it even talking about it like tangentially with you right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So if you felt this 
cringing feeling of like, oh, I don't like this person's energy and how they're speaking about things. And I, I very much disagree. How did you feel about my conversation with them? Like, do you think I was being too graceful, like too, like allowing too much of it? I mean, I definitely think you were getting the conversation out. I think there, there was times where there definitely could have been a bit more pushback, but again, it's a balance between, do you want this conversation to go sideways or you, you just have to meet them where they're at? Like, this isn't necessarily a space to be challenging, not, not challenging, but like, be like holding people to task, but maybe it could have been, I don't know. I feel like you pushed back when you could, and I don't know what it's like to be in those conversations. Like it's very different to listen back to them. And I do this in my own interviews where I listen back to it. And I'm like, why didn't I follow the, that thread that they gave me or whatever? Because they are just people that you're having conversations with, right? Like it's different to be sitting where I'm sitting, listening to it after the fact versus like you looked in this person's eyes, like you heard their voice in real time. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing that you said, that you have to meet them where they are. And I think a lot of our conversations, we don't do that because we're somewhere else in our, in our version of this conversation. And then we're bringing something else to the table. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard too, because it's like, sometimes you, you like ought to, like, sometimes I think it's beneficial to be like, listen, you're going to meet me where I am. Right. Like, you demand that they they show up for you but there's no hard fast rule and one isn't necessarily always better than the other like you know you could do it one way in the same you could do it two different ways in the same in the same instance you'll get different results but like one isn't necessarily like better than the other if that makes sense yeah, 100%. And I think the hard part is like, if you are demanding someone to meet you at your level, you also have to meet them at their level. Mm. So if you're too high and they're too low, you guys meet at the middle, whatever that's going to look like, or you're too left and they're too right and you end up in the middle, You there mm. is a, an element of compromise that needs to happen. And in that way, no one is ever going to be at anyone's level, ultimately. Because mm. otherwise, if someone meets you at your level, they had to to move away from their level and and thus no one's having a real conversation anymore or that conversation mm. ends so I think that was the hard mm. part for me to balance because I'm like I need this conversation to continue for the rest of the hour you know how am I going to find this balance sometimes I have to bring it down mm-hmm. or you know whatever the case is yeah that's so true and it's we're all living in our own sort of siloed worlds that we forget that not everyone thinks like us and mm-hmm. I don't want to live in a world where just because somebody it doesn't agree with me on everything means that I don't even engage with them. And we sort of exist in a world where it's very easy to only know and only interact with people who, you know, same socioeconomic background as you, similar work as you, like same politics, like all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's hard because I don't think we like that discomfort of talking to someone we disagree with and then admitting that we disagree with them because it's awkward. Yeah. And I feel like some of the disagreements, we think of them as like moral in nature and some of them are definitely are like, I couldn't be friends with somebody who was like racist. You know what I mean? Like, that's like something that I, I don't think is okay. 
But then there's also acknowledging where is that coming from? Like, I don't think that we come into the world with hateful ideologies. So having space to be like, okay, so you're like misogynist and a homophobe, that is not okay. But like, where did that come from? And is there space for me to allow you to work through that, that stuff, right? Because it takes a long time to like unlearn certain things and we're all sort of working on it and nobody's perfect. Like I'm certainly not. And there's, you know, definitely like biases that are in me that I'm trying to, you know, work, work through. You have to sort of leave the door open, but also protect yourself, right? Like also be like, I'll listen to you. But if you are causing harm to me or if you are causing harm to others, that is not okay. Yeah. One thing that I've been experimenting with lately is on that differentiation. So like, Mm. you know, it's really easy to say like, oh, I'm never going to be friends with a racist. Like that's ridiculous. Right. So by saying, you know, I'm, I don't, I don't eat meat anymore. I don't listen to music anymore. I don't have sex anymore. I don't drink anymore. So if I talk to anyone that does any of those things, and most people do (laughs) at least one of these things, Mm -hmm. then I get to have that healthy debate and practice that differentiation. Cause it's like, oh, you don't have sex. I have sex. You know, how are we going to be friends? Or are you going to judge me because I do or I don't or something like, I don't listen to music, like, you know, simple things and noticing the judgment of like, oh, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about this subject matter in front of this person now because this person doesn't do anything. But I think it's it's unique because it's like, well, I used to have sex. I'm choosing not to now. So you can still talk about sex, obviously, because I've had it before. It's just something that I don't do anymore. So it's kind of like, oh, would you talk to someone who used to be racist who is no longer racist and has changed because of whatever reason? And then you're still racist or whatever the situation is. So um, I think that's a, an interesting way to practice because we don't make friends with people that don't do the same things as us often. Mm-hmm. And the way these things are sort of on a spectrum, like the alcohol example, you know, you could be somebody who's like completely given up alcohol. And then the other side of that is like being like blackout drunk seven days a week, right? Like, mm-hmm. And things are not as binary as we as we think they are they are like people are complicated and we're all working through it together you know mm-hmm. we're all trying to work through these things as at the same time as as we're having relationships with people mm-hmm. yeah i want to wrap up with a couple questions what are some amanda isms that you notice throughout listening <laughs> to all of my my 100 episodes I mean, let's wrap up with a couple questions. Definitely <laughs> one of them. You know what, actually, a thing that you do is you don't say anything. Like your silence is like mm. such a move. And like, honestly, I notice it in your interviewing. I notice it when you talk to me on the phone, like you're sort of like leaving space for people to like, for awkward silences, like you're a master at that. You, <laughs> you. <laughs> You really like welcome the awkward silence and I appreciate it. I think it gets like a little bit more, that little something extra out of, out of the guest. I think it gets something, it like triggers something in me for, it's like, why am I trying to fill this space? That's interesting. You do do it though. You know (laughs) that you do it, right? Yeah, I do do. I enjoy silence a lot. And I think usually it's because, oh, that answer wasn't finished. So I'm just going to wait and see if that person elaborates. And what I noticed from a lot of my clients that I would coach, they'd say like, oh man, I don't want to show up to Amanda's meeting 
without completing my sheet because she'll just look at me with silence and I have to speak for myself. <laughs> and I'm like, what is the, what is so scary about the silence? I'm literally just sitting there like it's, nothing's happening. <laughs> oh my God. It's, it's such a thing. And I, I've thought about it. I'm just like, what is this like need to fill the air? Because yeah, I for sure I'm like, there's there's like a moment of there's a moment of awkwardness or like perceived awkwardness. Like silence isn't like inherently awkward. But you definitely you definitely do that. That's so funny. Was there anything that I did that surprised you? Like maybe I said something or shared something that you were like, oh shit, I never knew anything about that. I mean, I think how revealing you are with like your sort of journey, like I I don't want to project anything onto you, but it does sort of feel like the past year has been a bit of a like self-discovery transition time for you. And I, how honest you were with that and with your own experiences, like I am a very private person. Well, yeah, I'm a pretty private person. Like even doing this makes me really nervous. Like, I don't, I don't love being a public facing person. And so I'm always sort of in awe every time you would like reveal stuff about yourself. And I think it helped the conversation. And I think it, you know, people's reactions to it were really positive. And it shows that like, you know, that vulnerability does help, help you connect to people. Yeah. But I was always just like, Ooh, I'd never, <laughs> I'd never. Was there one thing that you were like, oh my God, I can't believe she said that? I think the like, the like no sex thing was definitely something that I found a bit shocking or yeah, the fact that you were talking about that on the show was really interesting because it seems like such a transition from, from like earlier episodes and the way that you sort of presented yourself in earlier episodes, which is what I mean with sort of the transition. Uh, so, so the fact that you were like talking about that, also like the no music stuff, I was like, I don't get this, but, <laughs> but like, but I don't necessarily have to, right? That's not the point. Yeah, those things. And I think that you honestly were really vulnerable with the ways that you talked about how you perceived yourself in relationships with like being the other woman and like being ghosted and like how that happened. I feel like we don't talk about rejection but we all experience it and it's so hard and it's so like painful and it's straight up embarrassing. Like it's fucking embarrassing. And I say that as a person who's that's like happened, you know, it's happened, of course it's happened to me. Of course I've been ghosted and it fucking sucks so hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't always want to talk about it because you don't want to be like, yeah, it's vulnerable. It's, it's shitty. It's really shitty. And, and you talked about it. And I was like, I like, I get that. Like, I feel that. I get it. And like, I don't want to talk about it personally, but like kudos. (laughs) Yeah. Cause it's uncomfortable and no one wants to be uncomfortable and then verbalize Mm -hmm. that with a bunch of people, right? (laughs) No one wants to like talk about like the, the, like the day-to-day vulnerabilities and like embarrassments that we just experience as being people in the world, right? Like there's certain types of vulnerability that I think that we're more comfortable with, but you sort of waded into this, like the stickier stuff and like the stuff that like, is like not always as sexy or it's like now that you're saying that I think it was more like we are used to painful vulnerable Uh painful vulnerability in the sense of like you have undergone something crazy and you're Uh healing through it and that's allowed to talk about because it's like dramatic 
in yeah. that sense. Maybe not sexy, maybe yeah. dramatic and certain, yeah, definitely. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, and, and that can be sexy, right. Because of that concept, but then it's the, these like uncomfortable, normal moments mm-hmm. of like you being your authentic self. And that's actually the, the best part about you, but you're embarrassed to talk about it, which is crazy because we should all be celebrating those weird, awkward things that make us all unique. Yeah, it's so true. The types of vulnerability that we let out into the world, like, like. Yeah, I think we're just like obsessed with pain and we love hearing mm-hmm. stories mm-hmm. of pain so that we can be like, oh yeah, cool. That person feels it too. We're like It has all to be like same. dramatic or something that's like theatrical. Like we're like, okay with that type of vulnerability, which is fucked up because, you know, like we're obsessed with trauma is what we're obsessed mm-hmm. with, right? Like we're obsessed with vulnerability through trauma, like trauma bonding and all of this stuff. But then there's all of these smaller, quieter, things that we experience as, as, hum- like, as humans that are like deeper secrets, but like more, mon- like more mundane things. Well, yeah, I think that's why you call it sexy, right? Because before, mm-hmm. like Which if it's is not- fucked. That's fucked, that's sucks. the word I went to. Like that doesn't, yeah. that shouldn't be what I used to describe it, but you know what I meant. Like- <laughs> exactly. But I think it's crazy because it's funny. Like even you were like, oh my God, I can't believe she doesn't listen to music anymore. Why did that, bother people so much you know like out of all of the things I jumped out at it's like okay no one's going to talk about the sobriety thing but everyone's going to talk about the music thing you know yeah. <laughs> they're like that's so mundane why would you just decide not to or it's just yeah it's a choice right and it's like today I just don't feel like wearing underwear that could be a thing mm-hmm. but we don't we don't take that into enough effect Instead, it has to be like a big dramatic thing. And you're like, okay, well, when I am mentally available to deal with this dramatic story, then I'll, you know, listen to it. Yeah. It's like, oh, you gave up alcohol because you like struggled with it for years. It can't, it's like not really just like, "Mm, this thing wasn't really working for my life. Like it might work for you, but like, it's not working for me, like in terms of the music thing or whatever. Mm -hmm. We want, we want trauma attached to so much of our vulnerability and it's like, yeah, gross. That that's what we continue to only see. And then that means anyone that expresses vulnerability now has to be someone that's experiencing pain and trauma. Yeah, we almost celebrate it. And, you know, obviously we want spaces where people can talk about that kind of stuff. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And then we're limited to that. So you don't know who the last person is. I finally found someone that I'm actually going to interview live here in Mexico city. Are there any topics, subjects, things that you'd like me to elaborate on in our final episode on the show? You know what? Embarrassment. Okay. That's, (laughs) you know, I just like embarrassing moments talked about with vulnerability and not humor. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I like that distinction that there's no humor attached to it. So that the embarrassment is like fully felt in that cringe without the like yeah like what is that like what 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 is embarrassment why do we feel it why are we Mm. so afraid of it I mean I think it's tied to shame for sure but I don't know that's that would be my thing okay I like that that's a very uncomfortable emotion that we don't express enough about so I'll take that challenge cool cool well, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. And for sticking it out for this year. It's been, it's no, been, it's been a while. 